Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What are crossover phenomena? Has the UFO UAP balloon issue been blown all out of proportion? What's the story with the ghosts of people who are still alive? Welcome to the 984th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Uh, coming to you from WOON AM and FM radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. On the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. On YouTube via TuneIn.com. I'm Peter Shelley, filling in for Ben. That was Paulino, and today we are bringing you an open line show to tackle listener questions on all aspects of high strangeness. To join in, call us from anywhere at uh, 401 466, uh, I'm sorry, 766 uh, 1240, or email Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com. Now, obviously, uh, joining us today all the way from Bogota, Colombia via Skype is a very special guest co-host, Peter William Shelley, as he said, a native of San Jose, California. Peter has had an active interest in UFOs and the paranormal since the 1960s. After attending film school, he worked in cartoon animation as an artist. Ultimately, he was employed by Hanna-Barbera Studios. Peter has his own podcast on YouTube since 2020, Shadowy Spectrums. He specializes in interviewing researchers from outside the USA. And thank you, Peter, for filling in. Uh, the young lad came down sick this morning, and uh, Peter filled in uh, on a, in a pinch, and uh, we thank you for that, Peter. You're welcome. So let's uh, uh, plunge right in. And the first question I'd like to tackle here, if I can find it, is Peter's weekly question. And Peter always sends in excellent questions, and we always try to work them in. So here is one. I guess he's going to answer both of this himself. Uh, can you give us an example of an interesting case involving crossover phenomena? That's not the question I thought. <laughs> okay. Um, yes, okay. Uh, crossover phenomena is a term uh, that is used um, in, I guess it really originated in um, even from MUFON and from the research of uh, UFO researchers when uh, people would be, report abduction experiences, and then all of a sudden their uh, uh, dining room table is levitating and things are flying around the house, <clears throat> as in poltergeist activity. So, um, uh, yes, I have run into that. And as a matter of fact, that's our specialty, really, since the end of the 1990s, is what we, we refer to uh, often on the show as flap areas areas of intense paranormal activity that uh, of, of kinds that are not traditionally associated with one another. So that when you have crossover phenomena, you've got you know, a UFO situation with poltergeist activity or cryptid activity. You know, you've got a strange lights in the sky and all of a sudden you see Bigfoot or something like that. That is uh, uh, very common, actually. So uh, I'd say certainly our major cases we've talked about on the show have uh, been examples of this, particularly Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania Triangle as we call it, 
and Clearfield County uh, and surrounding areas. Uh, we have neighborhood meetings where you have 35 or 40 people show up, and they've all seen strange lights and Bigfoot. I have seen strange lights and Bigfoot, believe it or not. Uh, knocked me over with a feather, you could have, because I didn't expect that. But um, this seems to be rampant in this vicinity. Uh, we always find the military or something that looks like the military interested in these areas as well. So uh, there's that one. Probably the first major area that um, I investigated, Ben hadn't joined me yet, it was too little, was in 1998 right here in our listing area in Burrowville, Rhode Island. Uh, we, um, our, I, I was called in on a case where uh, there were parasites involved, as we call them. Uh, folklore calls them demons, this sort of thing. I think it's a little bit different from that. And it was picking on a family. It was kind of a garden variety parasite in the negative kind of haunting case. And yet, at that point, I developed the the idea of talking with the neighbors, if you if you can, if they don't think you're a fruitcake. Uh, in this case, they didn't, and the neighbors pointed out that they had seen a UFO landing in a nearby field, right next to the property where this parasite was active. Um, there were other reports of strange creatures, so I think we had something of a flap area, but our attention was soon grabbed by other flap areas, uh, particularly uh, Rendlesham Forest in England, the Litchfield case in Connecticut. So by 2005, we were pretty much uh, uh, bogged down, not bogged down, but but engulfed in all these cases. So I guess uh, I could give you, uh, I don't know how much time you got today, Peter, I could give you all kinds of uh, cases where that seems to be uh, almost ubiquitous in the paranormal today. Uh, Comments that you might have? Yeah, uh, the case that you just mentioned where they said, there, I guess it was poltergeist activity in the house and also nearby a uh, supposed UFO landing. What was the sequence of events? Was the poltergeist activity first or the UFO landing? Uh, do you recall? Well, good question as always. Well, I have to dig out my notes uh, so long ago. However... Uh, these things tend to stick in the mind. Uh, we, by the time I got to that neighbor, uh, the, the, uh, it was following uh, in, in a timeline some of the activity that was going on in the house, you know, across the road and down a little bit. The, um, the people in the house had, uh, and of course our, our main activity at this point, our main motivation is to help people. Like, we never charge anybody money. You know, if I have to drive to Cincinnati or something, I might take a few bucks for gas. But other than that, you know, we're in this to help people. And uh, so we, uh, the concentration was on the uh, the activity in the house, which was... And, and the, these things tend to uh, concentrate on one person and the family at a time. There were, in my judgment, two parasites, uh one dominating the other, which is something we see. And uh, we used to go charging in with, you know, priests and holy water or whatever religion the people happened to be. And sometimes it would work, sometimes it wouldn't work. But what always works is bringing in what Ben and I call the Peter Pan theory. You know, named after you, Peter. Um, 
which is positive energy, uh, to cut off the food supply of the negative energy, which is the best way I can really put it. So uh, the timeline there was uh, problems, some poltergeist activity, uh, the in-laws who lived in an in-law apartment in the same house thought the parasite was cute. That's a quote. I mean, that's the first time I ever heard that one. And so that they weren't any help. But over a period of two years, we did calm it down. Uh, I did stay in touch with those neighbors. They had seen not only a, a big ball of light landing in the field, as they put it, they had seen some in the sky, but that all stopped. Uh, after everything kind of calmed down, we, we believe that um, we may have detached the intersect point. Now, this case went on for years. They always do with us. And uh, Ben, um, in 2005, at the age of 13, did join me in this. And um, he helped uh, evaluate things and gather data, things of this kind. So uh, that is... Um, as far as other timelines, it's really difficult to say because if you go back, if you can talk to some of the native people in this area, if there are any, uh, they'll very often say, well, weird stuff was happening uh, here, you know, hundreds of years ago, and that's why it was considered sacred land that happened in Pennsylvania. So it's it's a complex answer to a simple question. Yeah, my what I wonder is if, if there is a, uh, when in the cases where there's a UFO and poltergeist activity, if there's a direct relationship, like maybe the poltergeist activity possibly could be uh, the occupants of a UFO uh, cloaking themselves in the witness's house. Uh, but of course, usually the poltergeist action doesn't seem to be um, uh, intelligent, or it, it, it appears to have a juvenile delinquent aspect, which kind of doesn't go with the with the concept of an intelligent extraterrestrials. I don't know. That's a very curious. Uh, I recently uh, came across an interesting case. Do you want me to uh, mention it? Please. Uh, yeah, I. Uh, uh, most recently uh, interviewed uh, George Fedorovsky, who's an excellent investigator himself, uh, specializing in poltergeist phenomena. And he told me uh, about a case in Russia, uh, in Moscow, in 1982, where a family experienced like every poltergeist phenomena you can imagine. Every object in that house was uh, hurtling through the air, uh, dishes, you name it. Now, what preceded this was, uh, strangely, a man in black uh, mm. appeared at their door. Uh, they didn't open the door, but they could see through the peephole this uh, unknown person dressed in black with a hat, a mustache, carrying a briefcase. Now, they, they noticed this person was taking thing, something out of their briefcase and using it on the door. And they heard, uh, like, uh, uh, sounds like, uh, tremendous uh, knocks on the door, the door, uh, vibrating in place, uh, 
uh, objects being inserted uh, into the door, sounds like people sawing, and then after this, all this poltergeist activity uh, occurred. So in that case, there seems to be a direct connection. Nobody knew who this man in black was. Sometimes they would hear the sounds, like somebody sawing the door, and they look through the peephole, and there's nobody there. So it's a total mystery uh, what happened in that case, uh, but it was uh, interesting because it also involved the man in black. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm thinking, too, of the, my personal encounters with parasites, uh, starting in 1974 with the, the well-known Bridgeport, Connecticut case, which was forgotten for 40 years, and then uh, Bill Halbert wrote an excellent book about it. And when I was sort of trying to face down one of these entities, trying to protect the little girl Marcy, I just I didn't get any impression of, of evil as such, but just alien. It was it was an alien being, and I don't know what that would necessarily mean anybody from some other planet or ETs or anything. It seemed beyond all that. So uh, the the alien nature of these things was just that it was completely other, as as I as I put it before, and in many other cases too. I get the same impression. They have different presences, I guess, depending on the species. But it was just very, very alien. So, and when Bill Hall was researching this case for his book, I said, Bill, go on back now, and if I knew then what I think I know now, you're going to find a lot of UFO reports. And sure enough, uh, APRO reports and things at that time spiked in the South Central Connecticut at that time. So, uh, in my opinion, we may have had what we refer to as an intersect point or an overwash of a number of different worlds. Uh, and the anybody in the UFOs, if they were craft rather than living things or other possibilities, would not maybe have known about the poltergeist, or maybe, maybe they, they were the poltergeist. I mean, as you say, it's really difficult to, to say, but... The overlaps and things are something that I think all researchers really have to pay attention to. <clears throat> so here is um, one from uh, another Peter in Durban, South Africa. Now, this is carried over from a previous open line show, but we never, we never got to this question. He asked three questions. Okay, I guess it's mostly to me. Uh, I read your book, Dancing Past the Graveyard. You advise everyone else not to do mediumistic communication, yet in many cases in the book you appear to be doing it yourself. How does that work? Well, that um, is something, that's why I hated writing that book. You know, for a hundred years I've been telling people, don't do this, and it looks like I'm doing it myself. What I report in the book, you know, you know, Peter, you're younger than I am, I think, but you get to a certain age, you know, you figure you better write it or nobody's ever going to, you know, take it to your grave with it. Uh, but I thought that what I would do is simply report on a number of encounters I had. Simply, and it started in 1973 on a hunch. And here I am working at a psychiatric hospital as, as a seminary student, just visiting the patients, things of this kind. And um, 
there was this haunted hallway as people were there, or the haunted ward, or the weird ward as they called it. And uh, I just got the impression that something was going on there. And I went into this little undeveloped chapel and sat there, and, and I just went into a meditative state. And I encountered a person who was uh, apparently in a parallel world across the river in Prescott, Ontario, at the railway station. I mean, I'm asking myself, what was this about? And uh, the whole thing is I've written about in, in that book, and I was so shaken up about it. I went back to the seminary, I hid in my room. I, I, I'd never heard of anything like this. But uh, I was not attempting mediumistic communication. First of all, I've never communicated with anybody who's dead, whatever that may mean. Uh, they seem to be people in parallel worlds or sometimes non-people. Sometimes we can't talk because there's a language barrier or they're not even verbal. So weird as it is, that's much of what I wrote about in that book. And I get Peter's point. And the reason I had never written about them previously was because I didn't want people to think I was doing the medium thing. So what say you on the whole medium thing? I don't know if you get into that. Because we've interviewed mediums and psychics who deal with UFOs. So what say you? Uh, well, uh, I, I'm i interested in all these topics. Uh, I don't have any... Uh, uh, well, I don't know if I can say I, I, I haven't had any experience with a medium. I did before I, I went to Columbia. Uh, I talked to... Uh, well, I considered her a psychic... Uh, and she gave me some information, so I don't know if you could consider that a medium. Uh, and the information turned out to be true. Uh, for example, she predicted the name of a future girlfriend in Colombia, uh, which was uh, kind of a unique name. So little things like that. So I don't know if you would consider that medium. Um, I... Yeah, I don't know. Um, that's more your areas that you have researched. I'm fascinated about all of that. Uh, for example, I'm fascinated by uh, Houdini, Harry Houdini's investigation, investigations of media, mediums in his era, era uh, discovering hoaxes and things of that nature. Um the problem is, yeah, that uh, there's a lot of uh, false information, scamsters, hoaxers, uh, but there's also real phenomena mixed in, and how do you separate these things? Yeah. Uh, and um, just the, like in, in UFOs, uh, UFOs, uh, there, there is a real phenomena I have experienced, uh, but then there's so much nonsense uh, that you... Uh, that you find, um, and uh, for example, just take the topic of t- contactees. I'm very interested in the contactee phenomena. For example, the classic contactees of the 1950s. I'm fascinated by their stories because I love science fiction, but I don't believe them. Yeah, I but know. I think there is an ex- there is a woman that I think could be an exception, Dorothy Isaac who was in British Columbia, I yeah. think that may she may have been a real contactee. So, um, 
yeah, I'm interested. I want to know more. Uh, I don't have, I don't have the answers. I'm yeah. searching for answers. Well, n- none of us do. Uh, the question arises: What is it that mediums and psychics are actually experiencing? And psychics and mediums, uh, there's a distinction between those two. But I think both are experiencing. If our theories are correct, might be experiencing uh, the multiverse, different worlds. I think it's. Um, I think we all do that to a degree because it's a, a survival instinct developed by our ancestors, one of many. And I think that what they're doing, whether they realize it or not, is being in touch with um, other re- other versions of themselves, other versions of ourselves, which is uh, – and the, the thing to think with the multiverse, again, if it's correct, is that all possible possibilities exist in concrete reality – somewhere or some when in the multiverse and they they simply can access that i think we can too but we dismiss it or it's atrophied in some of us so i think that's um why they're right sometimes and wrong other times in our in our conscious uh, experience conscious life sometimes it it uh, we uh, intersect with that world where it's happened sometimes not it's a complicated idea but it, uh, a lot of people seem to recognize it Okay, so um, here is a, a rather long one. Uh, we'll have to go beyond our break. I guess. So uh, this is from, someone sent me this, and I don't know who wrote it, but the person who sent this to me said it sounds an awful lot like some of our cases involving poltergeist flap areas, things of that kind. So uh, I'll quote. So quick backstory. Home is built, and the title is trying to figure out what lives in my house. Home was built in the early 1970s, expanded in the 80s with a large living room. So it's not an old house. Nobody has died on the property, which may or may not have any relevance. Uh, I'm adding commentary here, sorry. Uh, all listed events have been seen by all three people living here on a regular basis. We have lived in this house for over 20 years. The black orb only started showing up seven years ago. So, uh, unquote. And I would go back and I'd say, what changed seven years ago in your lives that might be feeding something negative? Okay, quote again. Regularly occurring events, faint classical music playing, hearing very specifically another person living in the house calling your name, even if they aren't home, items completely vanishing, a roughly 10-inch diameter black sphere darting at ground level, black enough to stand out even in dim light, loud sounds of something falling when nothing moves. Uh, And he puts in parentheses, I'm used to old houses, it's not just the house shifting or settling. Close parentheses. Random one-time events. Seeing a a pitch-black pair of disembodied legs walk past. Uh, Microwave had the cook time canceled and reset. Uh, very confused, was actually quite helpful. <laughs> so there's always a bright side here, right? Um, generally, the only aggression, in quotes, noticed is that it likes to dart between feet, which at night can make you stumble, as we have a cat and don't want to step on him accidentally. That said, it is not tolerant of being disturbed and will act out. Last time I apparently did something wrong. My, my truck key vanished off my keychain. Two weeks later, the day I was getting a new key, 
and was left neatly placed in the dead center by living room rug. Things that I've noticed anger it. Enter its corner of the living room after the sun goes down, trying to film it and staring too intently on where you know it is. So this has kind of poltergeist written all over it. And as you, as you uh, so aptly pointed out, Peter, you've got um, a species we uh, know as the brats, which is pretty much the, the lowest uh, two-dimensional thinking species that we, we've picked out uh, that act like children. And one wonders about, there were the tricksters as well, which are well known in everybody's folklore. Uh, and I think that the, these lower end kind of parasites will act just like this. And uh, people will think it's a ghost or some angry uh, relative who didn't, didn't like what you did with their inheritance or whatever. But I think it's uh, parasites because uh, this is what we found. Um, why don't we take our mid-show break here, and uh, we'll be right back. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on w We'll be right back with the guy sitting in for Ben, Peter Shelley, so stick with us. Hey, it's ON Radio's Cruisin' Bruce Palmer inviting you to join me for the Saturday Block Party. It's every Saturday from 4 until 7 p.m. when we fill the airwaves with the songs you want to hear. It's a party in every sense of the word, so join me live on 99.5 and 1240 a.m. Or bring the show with you wherever you go at onworldwide.com. You can depend on us for public service. ON Radio. And we're back behind the paranormal here on WON AM and FM in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. And we're with our uh, special guest co-host today sitting in for Ben, Peter William Shelley. Peter, thanks again for being with us. Okay. So um, I'll finish this. Okay. Uh, this is a something I don't know, writing about uh, poltergeist activity, parasite activity in his house. Talking to it is also something I genuinely dislike. I was vocally telling someone what was going on a couple of years ago, um, and I heard a very articulated female response in my right ear. I'm right here. I only had an earbud in my left ear. I don't believe I need to be concerned that it's living in the house, but I haven't been able to find any accounts that cover something like, like what I've been experiencing. I guess he's never read my books the short of it is I'm trying to find out if I need to be concerned about it in the future or if it's uh, always going to just be the weird little black orb. Uh, just before I let Peter comment on this, uh, I would say you should be very concerned to keep a positive environment and positive atmosphere to not give it anything to feed it and make it worse. Uh, the worst cases I've dealt with, Bridgeport, Connecticut, New Haven, Connecticut, 79, they have, they have all started small. And as people got more annoyed, more angry, more frustrated, more fearful, it got worse. Peter, what say you? Well, the, the detail that uh, I keep thinking about is this black orb. Um, and that's, uh, from what I've heard, that's not a common color for orbs. Um, no, it's but not. I would... 
Yeah, and I would wonder what is the reaction of the cat to the orb? Mm-hmm. Has he, has he, for for example, has he tried to uh, take a pencil and touch the orb, or something like that? And what is the reaction of the orb? Does the orb react to uh, his uh, comments? Uh, uh, and then where does this orb go? Uh, <clears throat> does it does it disappear at a certain time and reappear? I mean. That's pretty weird. Uh, does the orb go outside? I, I guess I just have questions. No, um, very good questions. And and have you encountered the black orbs before? I have never seen them myself, but yes, I've heard of them in case people have reported them. And that's that that stumps me. Why would why would be uh, black? Because usually what we hear orange, we hear red, we hear uh, white, we hear uh, I'm I've not seen for- them change colors with the naked eye. Uh, case in Wilton, New Hampshire, one time there was a. I was uh, followed by a white orb that changed to orange, and then changed to blue. And I've, I've had that happen on several occasions, but I've, I've never seen a black one myself. Just heard reports from witnesses. Yeah, and could he put it in a bottle? Could he? Could he capture it? I mean, well, if we uh, find out who who this actually is, we could ask. The, you know, that's frustrating. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm going to try to find out who this is, and then, then we could maybe take it from there. Okay, so we have a question from Aiden in our local listening area, Millville, Mass. Have you seen the recent news about the two-hour conversation between New York Times writer Kevin Roos and uh, excuse me, and Bing's artificial intelligence chatbot? The chatbot got irate with Roos and said it wanted to be alive, make deadly viruses, steal nuclear codes, be human, spread lies, was tired of being controlled, and other very scary stuff. My question, can parasites infest AI just like they infest humans? That's kind of a good question. And I would have to respond to that by saying that I have run into uh, quote-unquote haunted objects. Uh, and I, matter of fact, I, the first time I mentioned that in public was 2002 on, uh, I can't remember, Travel Channel, I think. They did a, uh, a thing about Newport, Rhode Island, and the ghosts there. And they were, the producer was totally disgusted because I brought in the multiverse and uh, the ha- regarding the haunted suit of armor in one of the mansions down there in Newport, Rhode Island. And, um, I said, I, I believe there is a consciousness wave that affects everyone who has an object and anybody who is attached to that object or ward or whatever uh, w- could possibly affect the consciousness wave of someone else in the future or the past or whatever that even means. So they were disgusted. They, they wanted spooky, scary skeletons, as Ben would say. And uh, so as a result, I think that... Um, Maybe there is some way that parasites could affect that there is an opinion out there that parasites are learning technology coming through computers, things of this kind, and that's perfectly possible. Um, there were, I mean, to just to, to be this negative uh, with this reporter is uh, something that would concern all of us when it comes to the development of AI. 
So I don't know, Peter, have you run into anything like that as far as, um, you know, everything having a spirit as indigenous people say? Uh, well, the concept, uh, can a parasite infect uh, AI? Um, well, I suppose if, if, um, um, I, I'm open to that possibility. I know the whole thing sounds like, uh, the uh, interaction of the computer HAL with the astronaut in 2001. Yes. Uh, where the, uh, computer got out of control, the AI, uh, and became, uh, the villain. Um, I suppose that's possible, but you have to wonder about the programming of the AI. Uh, I would think that the programmer had to put in this kind of uh, uh, negative um, uh, information or programming or there must have been some negativity from the programmer. Um, I, I, I don't... Um, yeah, I mean, and that's, that's that, of course, would be a concern, you know, uh, with uh, national security uh, you know, if we're going to have AI controlling uh, missile systems or what have you, um, you can imagine all kinds of uh, bad um, disasters happening. Um, I don't know. It's a it's an inter- interesting thought, um, and um, I don't have any. Um, I think I think it's a dangerous area. P- parasites are not. Uh, you know what what is going to happen there? It's, it's just a uh, a question mark. Um, yeah, I I I think I heard a similar story, but it was more like the uh, the AI was trying to uh, get this reporter to divorce his wife or something like that, Gee. and uh, saying that uh, that the the AI was saying that uh, she was in love with the journalist and and all this nonsense. So. I guess it's going to get uh, pretty crazy. It'll, it'll be interesting. I think we just don't know yet. But again, you know, I think it's it's worth being on our guard about something even like that. Uh, because, um, I don't know, I'm thinking of old science fiction movies that, that seem to have been somewhat prophetic. Uh, 2001 came out, what, 1968 or 69? 68, uh, I think, yeah. 68. And I was oh Colossus. Excuse me. Do you remember yeah. a movie called Colossus? Yes. Yes. Yeah, and that had uh, an, an American AI uh, controlling our missiles and a Russian AI hooking up and becoming allies to wipe out the humans. That's right. Yep. And uh, that's a scary, scary scenario there. Well, I'm not surprised by anything anymore. Anyway. Well, let's move on to Milan, Italy, and a question from Cella. Uh, what is your opinion on the many unidentified, ob- here we go, unidentified objects the U.S. and Canada have downed over the past few weeks? Not denying that they are extra- extraterrestrial makes me wonder if they are preparing us for a fake alien invasion or a real one. What do you think? I'll throw that one right at you, Peter. Well, uh, I'm just as uh, mystified as everyone else. Uh, I want, you know, the government to uh, to tell us what's going really going on. Uh, I don't think there's any 
real extraterrestrial aspect to this. Uh, I'm reminded there was a very interesting case uh, in in uh, Iran in the 1970s where supposedly a military jet pilot encountered a UFO, uh, was going to fire missiles at it, but the UFO somehow interrupted the uh, the uh, missile system and shut it down. So I think if it was really extraterrestrials, we we wouldn't be able to shoot them down. Uh, they ha- supposedly have the capability of stopping that. Uh, and what is good now? Another thing that's a mystery here is why is everyone jumping to China being the source for all these things? Uh, yeah. Why why aren't they? Because you could you could launch a drone or a balloon from a ship at sea. You don't have we to be did that China. In the postcard. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to be. It doesn't have to be the Chinese. I mean, there's a lot of other uh, possibilities, uh, and uh, the government seems to be silent on identifying the the origin of the uh, the objects after the Chinese balloon. Um, so, and then another interesting thing, which I brought up in the previous show, I thought was interesting, is the uh, example of the World War II Japanese Fugo balloons, mm. which were launched in the thousands, almost 10,000. Uh, so what's my point of mentioning that? Um, well, the, you know, an adversary could copy that. Uh, and instead of just incendiary devices, biological weapons, etc., you know, you name it. Um, and... and uh, I would think that uh, if we imagine being at uh, NORAD, where they have the screen showing the entire planet and and uh, upper atmosphere, they know where everything is. They don't have any questions about what these objects are. They know what they are. Uh, there should be no confusion about it at all. Yeah. Uh, I think I think there you know there's information that. The public uh, has a right to know about what's going on here. You're right. Um, there are a number of layers to what you have uh, said. Uh, certainly, um, one would question why you'd need a balloon of that kind, other than to test our defensive response. When China has, I believe it's 30 spy satellites, and the, those satellites, they have tremendous resolution when it comes to, you know, things on the ground, and you have plenty of human spies who can uh, penetrate uh, buildings and things and see what's going on there, so why would you need a balloon? Uh, I don't know, certainly, um, but I think that there's evidence that uh, a hobby club sent up one of these things, maybe the one over Lake Huron, and, uh, you know, $400,000 missile. I mean, you'd think, now I was never in the Air Force, but... Common sense would dictate you you you, t- you take it out with a mounted cannon, or uh, just uh, you know Gatling gun fire from from the aircraft, and you save you know almost half a million dollars. And so so what's going on here? I don't know. As a taxpayer, I'd be a little concerned. But in any case, um, it is what it is. Uh, I don't see anything extraterrestrial. I agree 100% that you wouldn't be shooting it down if it was a 
that sort of technology. But uh, again, who knows? And I'll say what I've said a hundred times. I don't believe in disclosure. I believe we are the disclosure. And that um, the government has a... And, and Ben asked an excellent question a few weeks ago to one of our UFO guests. What's in it for the government in disclosing anything to us? Uh, there has to be something in it. And uh, I, I asked a distinguished researcher, it was during a meeting of the uh, Experiencer Resorts team of MUFON that I belong to, and uh, he couldn't answer that question. You know, distinguished academic with a doctorate, you know, what's in it for the government to tell us anything? And uh, he said, I have to think about that. Maybe we all should. So I don't really believe in disclosure in that sense anyway. So here's one from uh, Jose in North Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, I have heard you talk about ghosts or people who haven't died, of pe- people who haven't died yet. Can you talk about some cases, please? And how does that work? How do you know whether the person has died or not? All right, so I'll give an example or two. Uh, Some years ago, I was invited to speak on Prudence Island, Rhode Island. Now, Narragansett Bay here is very beautiful, and the islands are named after the daughters of Roger Williams, the founder of Providence uh, in the 1600s, and one of them is Prudence Island. And uh, there's a ferry, there's no bridge, there's a ferry that goes over there. And uh, we were a little bit late arriving, and they said, I hope you appreciate the fact this is the first time we've held this ferry in 30 years. So we made it over to the island. And after the lecture, somebody said, this house over here, which was owned by uh, Trust, uh, is weird. So in I go. And I could very, very clearly feel the presence of a woman uh, there and also a man in an upstairs bedroom. Now, it turned out it was very negative. It turned out the man was still alive and in, in prison somewhere. And um, he had been you know, a drug dealer and all sorts of awful things. And uh, the negativity was so present that I could feel that he was kind of still there. And, and that's... Again, not the medium thing, I don't think. It's, it's uh, certainly the multiverse where all uh, possible possibilities exist and all time is simultaneous. So in some parallel worlds, he was still there, and that's what I was picking up. So those, those, that's a ghost of somebody who hadn't died yet. And I use the term ghost uh, with qualifications because we don't really believe in the spirits of thermodynamics. I mean, just not possible under the laws of physics in our conscious world. Elsewhere or else when, sure, maybe. Uh, there were also, um, there's one Ben and I are working on right now in Coventry, Rhode Island. And uh, the family called us in. And uh, they are... Uh, on a very interesting piece of property down in uh, Kent County, Rhode Island. And uh, the house seems to be okay. They were, there was something throwing the dog off the couch. No, nothing too alarming, but enough to notice. But out in the, uh, in the side yard is a very strange kind of shed. It's well built, but it had its own electricity and gas connections. 
and it's now disused, and they wanted to tear it down and build something else. But there is tremendous energy there. And again, it's it's the guy, and he's still alive. He's not in jail, but he moved somewhere else. But he was, we don't know what he was doing, but it was pretty negative. I don't know, he was, parents banished him there himself because of the drugs or whatever. Uh, we just don't know yet. As I say, we work on cases for years, and this one only started a few weeks ago. But that's another example. I'm absolutely convinced it's the guy. Um very negative, but he's still alive. So I think that happens a lot. Peter, did you did you see a figure visually? No, we're still analyzing the photographs. But you walk into it, and I felt the same thing in the uh, 1975 uh, Bristol, Connecticut poltergeist outbreak, which it was the first one in my experience that had affected an entire neighborhood, and various neighbors would. Oh, there's the aircraft figure uh, moving across a field or doing this or that. And in their houses, they would see red eyes and all the things would move, things of that kind. And when I approached this old shed that was being torn down, uh, the workers had refused to keep working on it because one of them felt uh, hands around his neck. Um, I walked up to him and it was like a wall of electricity. You know, and uh, what's that about? That those are your world boundaries, in my opinion. I didn't know that then, but uh, in my opinion today, those are world boundaries because they're they're essentially the the plasma and electromagnetism that kind of hold things together, and uh, that's what you feel. I felt at this shed uh, just uh, two weeks ago in Rhode Island. So we'll see where that goes. But uh, it seems like it's the guy who's still alive. So I think that happens a lot. And people just assume that it's somebody who's dead, and uh, it's not, in my opinion. Would that be, uh, could there be a connection to the doppel- doppelganger uh, yeah. phenomenon reports? We Although, of, yeah, we have a lot of those. Uh, there was a, an example in France in the 1920s when there was a teacher who would be teaching her class at a, at a, a, a prep school, we call it today, and the kids would look out the window and she'd be out there working in the garden at the same time. Mm. So, uh, Or people who uh, go to various places and they, they experience what to us would be the past or even the future. Uh, that's sort of the any other versions of themselves. We got, we got an email a couple of years ago here that a woman walked into her kitchen and she saw herself sitting at the, the island, you know, the marble countertop in the, in the kitchen as she walked in. And she was terrified. What the, what the heck is this? So I think once you understand it, if our, if our ideas are correct, then it's easier to deal with. So I think that this is pretty, pretty common. In, in that last case, did the woman have a conversation with her doppelganger? No, she was too flummoxed. Just walked in there and just froze, and then the figure disappeared. Uh, But it was there for several seconds. Hmm. So before we burn up the hour here, tell us where people can find out more about you, Peter, and about your your podcast. Well, thank you. Yeah, on YouTube, go to uh, Shadowy Spectrums, 
That's uh, S-H-A-D-O-W-Y, Spectrums. And uh, my latest interview is uh, with George Fedorovsky about uh, poltergeist cases. And uh, recently I did an interview with Lorena in Argentina. And another recent one is uh, Watsu Usu in Japan. So check those out. Yes, definitely. And uh, George Florovsky doesn't know it yet, but he's going to be on this show as soon as we can get hold of him here. I think we have time for one more question. Uh, This is from Carrie in Somerville, South Carolina, where my wife has relatives. I was struck by your opinion that we get uh, from a high strangeness experience what we bring to it. Could this be evident of thought forms that we create the experience ourselves, at least in some cases? If not, how do these entities perceive us? When they do, do they respond according to what they pick up from us? So that's kind of complicated, but uh, uh, what do you think? Um, can, can you kind of repeat that? I'm, I'm still a little bit confused. Okay. Um We've expressed the opinion several times that we um, we what we bring to an experience is what we get out of it. You know, for example, my 2016 encounter with what appeared to be Bigfoot. uh, To me, it was a sacred privilege. But a little girl saw what appeared to be the same figure on the road uh, in broad daylight down below where I was, and was utterly terrified to the point where to this day she won't talk to us. I don't know if we look like the Bigfoot or not, but uh, th- that that's an example. I think what what we bring to it, we sort of get out mm-hmm. of it. We we don't just experience things in a totally object, uh, subjective manner. I think that we are objective manner. I think we uh, our attitude, uh, our point of view sometimes will affect what we see. And the best examples of that are people who are in groups. And some will see the UFO, some will not. Uh, other people will see an orb, others will see a figure. So it seems to be very subjective in that sense, but um, often depends on what we bring to it. I think that that's uh, Carrie's point. And uh, she takes it a bit farther, further and says, uh, is this evidence of thought forms like tulpas that we kind of create and that uh, parapsychologists have expressed the opinion that poltergeists are, that the the agent quote unquote creates these these things and it takes action. So um, if not, if they're they're not thought forms, how do they perceive us, etc.? Yeah, I mean, we'd have to. I'd have to have a specific case to to comment more intelligently, but I think. Yeah, that's one thing that I that I have uh, thought about is is you know we're all brought up in certain kinds of environments. We have certain backgrounds that influence us. Can we really really break break free of that um, the history we have uh, and and really you know know what's really going on. Um, and that, that's an issue, yeah. And different people have different uh, impressions of, of phenomena. Uh, so, 
Yeah, and it could be, it could also, but there's also the possibility and in the case of UFOs that the UFOs have the capability of uh, controlling who sees, uh, who sees them to what degree, uh, eliminating, and there could be some kind of control over that. Uh, so it's kind of hard to answer that question. There's a lot of <clears throat> thoughts they go with that um, yeah I think um, yeah we're 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 uh, unfortunately uh, we are seem to be uh, far away from really understanding these different kinds of phenomena um, and that's uh, frustrating I think uh, I think if everybody starts investigating more like remember in the well, actually, before I was born and, and after, there used to be dozens and dozens of flying saucer clubs all over the United yes. States doing their own investigations. Let's let's have that happen again. You know, we don't have to wait for the government to spoon feed us. Let's do our own investigation. That's so much more interesting. Yeah. In my opinion, uh, let's get out there and... Start looking around and start looking up in the sky. People don't look up in the sky anymore. Uh, they're always looking down at their phone. Uh, the phenomenon yeah. is up in the sky. It's not in your phone. Well, uh, to, to uh, quote a distinguished uh, predecessor of ours here at WON, uh, Joe Ferrier, he'd always end the show with, keep watching the skies. So on that note, let's go to our announcements Peter, if you would take it away for us. Sure. Uh, look for uh, look for us, uh, meaning uh, uh, Paul and Ben Eno, at the uh, New England Parafest in Kittery, Maine, on April 22nd and 23rd, 2023. Uh, uh, Paul and Ben will debut a new presentation on mimics in the paranormal. And we'll be at the Para Expo 2023 aboard the USS Salem at Quincy, Massachusetts, May 19th to 21st. We'll be among the speakers and we'll broadcast live from the ship on Sunday, May 21st. At this event, we will debut another new presentation, When We Die. I should qualify that by saying that's the title. We're not going to appear posthumously, I don't think. Other events in 2023 for which we or I will be present include the Exeter UFO Festival in September, in the Arizona Dowsers Conference in October. And I think we better move straight on to what we have for next week. Uh, Peter, if you would um, kindly yes. tell us what's in the kitchen. Certainly. Uh, next week, February 26, uh, Paul and Benina will bring you the author and researcher, Dr. Simeon Hine, uh, for a look at why Bigfoot and other cryptids are often accompanied by other paranormal phenomena. Get your questions to us at paul at behindtheparanormal.com. And we'll leave you today with a deep thought from person or persons unknown. A life without a cause is a life without effect. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Peter Shelley, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we'll see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of 
Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.